been kind of a tough week. Um, a couple of things I want to bring to your attention. Recently, I have been diagnosed with a fatal disease, and it's called senescence. It's an act, actually something that I've had all my entire life. I just didn't know it until lately. It is the advancing of age. It is the fatal disease of death, and I want to talk to you about that. Kind of amazing when you talk about death, how you feel, isn't it? Sadly, worst of all, I'd like to bring to your attention, and I hate to be the person that's the bearer of bad news, but you also all suffer from this fatal disease, every single one of you. Every single one of you that's here. In fact, what happens is we're all on this crash course of, with death, really from the time that we're born until the time that we die. What happens with senescence is our body breaks down. The cells don't renew themselves as quickly as they used to. And as time goes on, they do less and less support for yourself. And so that's what happens with the aging process. So literally from the time that you are born to the time some of you are 12, 13, 14, 15, you're already much closer to death than you were before. It's just the realities of life. The statistics of death is still at 100%. No one's been able to outwit it. There's no cure for it. We can't change it. Every single one of us are going to go through this. And it's not a fun topic, is it? It's not fun. Not fun to talk about. I really thought, should I say this this way? But I thought, you know, I, I wanted to think. You know, when you hear that somebody has a fatal disease, it kind of gives you a little bit like, oh, my goodness. Because death it becomes very real at that moment. But all of us are really going to die. None of us are going to make it any different. I mean, unless there's, there's a couple things that take place. But, you know, it's a subject that we tend to avoid talking about. We don't really like to talk about something that's not fun. You talk about death, it's usually not the funnest experience. And it's, you know, it's kind of like hiding your head in the sand. You don't want to you know, talk about it or think about it. And, you know, if you don't talk about it or think about it, maybe then it won't happen. You know, let's just not, let's not bring it up. And uh, we kind of live our lives as though death is something that really only happens to people who are older, you know, like people on 30. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know that you guys, 30 is probably really old. But, um, you know, a lot of people don't really like to think about death. And, you know, a lot of times even when someone's like 60, 70, 80, then we're like, oh, okay, that was a pretty long life. You know, it was long to you. The person who's 60 isn't really that excited that you're like, yeah, you're ready to die. Go ahead. It doesn't take um, but a real quick look at the obituary to realize, though, that everybody dies at all different ages, don't they? I mean, we all know. We see it. If you look at any, any obituary column in any newspaper, that there are babies that die. There's little kids that die. There's teenagers that die, adults, and senior citizens. Every age dies. You know, no one's promised this magical age of this, and then you die. It doesn't work that way. You know, death is kind of like one of the uh, things you can kind of look at as like kind of like the ultimate survivor. You know, you can't outwit it. You can't outplay it. You can't outlast it. It's kind of like you're, it's going to win. It's going to win every single time. You know, you can't win the game. You know, there's a game that you can play, the game of life. You might be able to play the game of life and win, but you can't play the game of death and win. 
It don't work that way. You know, there's a saying goes, and you guys maybe have heard this before, um, there are two things that you have to do in life. You know, you have to die and you have to pay taxes. That's what they say. You think two things you have to do. And uh, people really hate to talk about either one of those things because both cost something, you know. One is money. There's always taxes. And then the other is death. I mean, my goodness, who wants to discuss something like that? So how many of you guys have ever talked to somebody when, or have heard somebody's reaction? When you start talking about death or you talk about something, how many people have here have had the reaction of people around them saying, I don't want to talk about that. Let's not talk about that. I used to be terrible with it. I remember my husband talking about death and dying and, and all this different stuff, and I'd be like, oh, no, I don't want to talk about that. Almost afraid that if I, for some sort of voodoo thing, that if I talked about it, it was going to happen kind of thing, you know? And, you know, obviously that's not how God works. But I, I grew up with this idea of death, and it was always something very real to me because of the fact that, you know, I had a sister who was 18, and she got killed, and then my mom died when I was seven, so I didn't have her in my life. And then my dad got remarried, and my stepmother had died. So death was something that was very big in my life when I was growing up, when I was a kid. I would tell everybody that I went through so much fear of death for so long that I used to, when I was a kid, I remember being nine or ten years old, telling myself that if I had something planned the very next weekend, that it was just some sort of game I'd play in my head, that I wouldn't die if I had something planned. And I would be a nervous wreck if I didn't have something planned the next week because I thought for sure this meant something. You know, I went through a lot of fear and a lot of problems with death. And when the kids were small, I really had a hard time talking about it. Something that God completely changed me about. You know, but there's a whole lot to be said about this death thing. And I kind of want to talk to you about it tonight, about um, what Jesus had to say about it. I've been talking to you about what the, the sayings, the seven sayings of what Jesus said in the book of John when he says, I am. You know, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of this world. You know, I am the gate. I am the shepherd. And then tonight is, I am the resurrection and the life. What the scripture actually says in John eleven twenty five, it says, I am the re- resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And uh, it goes on to tell you the story about Lazarus in the Bible. And that's an interesting chapter in the Bible. There's, there's a lot there about what happens and what goes on. Like I said, it's in John 11. The Bible gives this account of the situation. I'm not going to read it to you. I'm just going to kind of like paraphrase it and bring it together for you. Um, it's basically about the same two women that you've heard about before. Have you guys heard about Mary and Martha? You know, Martha's this one who she's, she's, she's like me. She's OCD. She's complete, or complete cleaning freak, has to have everything just right, cooking, cleaning, making sure everybody's fed. That's just her personality. Very practical person. And then you had Mary, who, you know, when Jesus come into the house, she just wanted to sit at his feet and just sit there and listen. And she really wasn't wanting to help too much with Martha. You know, she's just like, you know, I'm just going to be here with the the master, the savior. That's what I'm going to do. So these are the same two women that were in the other scripture verses or is in this scripture verse. So it's those same women, and their brother is named Lazarus. So this Bible uh, scripture actually says that this is also the same Mary that goes and pours perfume on Jesus' feet and wipes it with her hair later. So it's, it kind of brings it all together. You can kind of see, obviously, Mary, I think that really shows, probably was forgiven much. She probably really loved Jesus because she really recognized that she was very much forgiven of the sins that she's uh, committed. 
I don't know for sure if she was the one that had the situation when people were going to come forward and, and say something to her, call her names, whatever. I don't know what it was that she was forgiven, if she's the one. But I think that, you know, obviously it, the Bible talks about those who have been forgiven much appreciate it much. And so obviously she appreciated it much. So these sisters, they go on to tell and send word to Jesus that what they say to him is, Lord, the one you love is sick. And Jesus, when he hears this, first of all, he says, one really important thing that you need to notice. He actually goes on to prophesy exactly what's going to take place. He says, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that the God's son may be glorified through it. So everything was already forewarned and planned. It was all figured out. And what it is actually saying is that um, it goes on to say that Jesus loved Martha and loved his, the sister, and he really loved Lazarus. He was close friends. They were like buddies, pals, you know. And, uh, but yet what's interesting is when he heard this news, he stayed where he was. He didn't go to them immediately. He stayed where he was for two more days and stayed in the area that he was at. And then after that time, he tells the disciples, he says, now let's go back to Judea. And then he says to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go there and I'm going to wake him up. Now, they're, they're dumbfounded. Well, you knew two days ago that he was sick. What's wrong with you? Why did you stick around for two days? So the disciples actually think that what he's saying to them is that he'd been healed. You know, we all know when we're sick, a lot of times you just need to sleep it off. You get a fever. You kind of have to rest. You got to take it easy. And then you start to feel better. And that's what the disciples thought. The disciples thought, yeah, Lord, if he sleeps, then he's going to get better. And, uh, you know, they were, they were speaking of that. But Jesus was actually speaking that he'd already died. But his disciples thought they meant natural sleep. So then in there he tells the disciples and he says, no, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. That has so much signification there. To sit there and say the fact that he says, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, the disciples' sake, to everybody who reads this today, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. This is something I really, really want you to grasp tonight because if you miss this, you're going to walk away and think, I don't understand. I, I don't get it. I don't understand that part. If you miss what I'm going to tell you, the next thing, it's not going to make sense. The thing you have to realize is Jesus called himself the resurrection and the life. You have to understand that Jesus had so much resurrection power in him because he's God. It was so strong that a person could not die in his presence. Could not. They simply could not die if he was next to them. Because he is life. So when he actually says to them, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. It was to prove to them that's why he stayed back. He said, if I go, you're not going to see a miracle. But because I didn't go, you get to see life being resurrected. You're going to get to see that. People tend to miss that all the time when they read the Bible. This is proven not only once with Lazarus, but it also goes on and gets proven another time when it's the ruler's 12-year-old daughter dies. And everybody's sitting there and they're upset. And there's people there that are wailing, crying, upset because she's died. And Jesus walks in and says, what are, you, what are you doing? She's not dead. Because as soon as he walked in, she came to life. That's what it was. He had so much power of the fact that he's the resurrection and the life that he broke up every single funeral that he could have ever gone to. 
If there was a funeral that Jesus walked into, that person would come to life. That's the power that he has. That's the same power that he has today. People just don't recognize it. When he walked into a person's house, immediately, I don't care how bad they were, there was something about him that was just life-changing, life-giving. It was just a draw. And it would, instead of being a funeral, it would become a celebration. That's what happened with Lazarus. That's what happened with this 12-year-old girl. All of a sudden, there's a celebration that takes place because life is renewed. This is the message of salvation. This is exactly what happens still today. We need to understand that when Jesus is in this situation and when it's spoken to him when they sent word, the one that you love is sick. I want you to understand, that's how he feels about each one of us still today. When we're not in right standing with God, we haven't accepted him as Savior. He comes because he loves us and he doesn't love anybody more than another. And he wants everybody to have that resurrection power because it's life-altering, destiny-changing. That's what it's all about. He wants it instead of to be death. He wants it to be a celebration. Instead of you having a funeral, he wants you to celebrate and have, be saved. That word is old-fashioned. People don't like to use it because they're like, saved, what's saved? Saved from death. Saved from eternal punishment. Saved from hell. That's what it is. That's what it's all about. Death cannot exist where Jesus is. Like I said, when every time he walked into a funeral, someone would spring to life because he is the resurrection and the life. We need to have that same great hope. in each single one, every single one of us that are here, we need to recognize that. We need to grasp that. I, I hope you get that. I hope you understand that isn't just something that he did out of the whim. It's like he walked in, okay, this person I want to save. He couldn't even control it. He has so much resurrection power that when he'd come in, there was life that would just come and happen. People that were dead would rise. Um, like I said earlier, there's this real reality to death. You know, like I said, it, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. But you have to have faith, and if you do truly have faith, and Jesus truly lives inside of us, because once we say that we do not just believe, because it's not just to say, you know, say the words, and you have to really believe that Jesus is real and that he lives in your heart. That's what he says he does to, with us. When we say that, yes, we do want to love him, follow him, be a, a Christ follower, because the words are... I mean, we could sit there and say, I can tell you a lie. I can tell you that I'm a rocket scientist. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean I really am. I can say I'm a doctor. It doesn't mean I am. But, you know, some people, they use the word Christian. I'm a Christian, but they're not. A Christian is really a Christ follower. That means every day you make a choice to do the things that are going to follow God on the path. So there, there's, there's this idea that people have that you say these simple words and it changes your destiny, but it doesn't unless you're really following after God. For those who have really done that, death does not exist. You know, our bodies might die. That might happen. But we're going to spring to life again. It's going to be immediate. The one thing that God's word says, he says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. He says, on the cross, when there, there's the two sinners right next to Jesus, the ones sitting there mocking Jesus, sitting there saying all the different things, it's almost like humanity with exactly that pull that Jesus has to deal with all of his life and what each person that's a believer has to deal with. You've got some people who are going to accept it. 
And then you've got the one person that's going to sit there and jeer at you and tell you you're horrible, you're, you're a liar, you're this, you're that. It's exactly what it's going to be. But when this person said, remember me when you go into your kingdom, Jesus, he said immediately to him, he says, you will be with me today. Because he knew that that guy's time was up today. He wasn't going to make it off the cross. He was dying that day, and he said, today you'll be with me in the kingdom of heaven. That's what he told this, the criminal. So we understand if once you start to believe, there's life that takes place. For a true believer in Christ, the fear of death has diminished more and more as we grow in him. I'm going to tell you, if anybody knew me, like I said, I, even when I first got saved, I struggled with death for so long. It was so hard for me to not be fearful of it. Now I recognize that I don't really have to be fearful. Because, you know, I'm going to tell you, even John the Baptist, not John the Baptist, Stephen, when he's being stoned, we talked about that not too long ago, I'm not sure Jesus or Stephen really felt the pain. I think his eyes were so much on Jesus and that Jesus was already beckoning him, calling him, that I don't even know if he felt the pain. I think there was such a passing over that takes place. You know, death is in the end this world. We know that. People who love this world can't even imagine not being in it. I've met those people before. You know, it's like, but this world is so great. Well, for those that are going to hell, it is so great. This is it. This is as close to heaven as you're going to get. To people who that are true believers and followers of God, God's word says that this is going to pale in comparison. The beauty that we see here is going to be nothing compared to, to what's going to be in heaven someday. Like I say, people don't want to talk about death. They avoid it in conversation. They do drastic things to even not think about death. You know, how many of you guys have heard this? There's 27 people are banking on the idea that modern science will someday find or engineer a fountain of youth. These 27 people, all deceased, are patients of the Alcor Life Extension Institute in Scottsdale, Arizona, where their bodies, or sometimes merely their heads, have been frozen in liquid nitrogen at minus 320 degrees Fahrenheit, awaiting the day when medical science will discover a way to make death and aging a thing of the past. Ten of the patients paid $120,000 to have their entire body frozen, but 17 of the patients paid $50,000 just to have their, only their heads frozen, hoping that someday the molecular technology will one day be able to grow a whole new body just out of the cells. Sounds like science fiction called cryogenics. That's what it's all called. It says there's a 50-year-old member of Alcor named Thomas Donaldson who said he hasn't been taken advantage of uh, the services yet. And he brushed aside the naysayers and explained to a reporter why he's willing to give cryogenics a, a try. And he says, for some strange reason, I just like being alive. I really don't want to die. <laughs> of course. Of course he doesn't want to die. Death is scary. You know why? Because it's the unknown. We have no control. Anytime we don't have control over something, it makes us afraid. We don't know when, we don't know how, you know, all those different things. You hear all these horrible things in the news, and you're like, oh, you know, it's scary. But, you know, this is the thing. We have to think about death. It can't only be about life. God tells us to pay attention. Think about those things. Pay attention to those things. You know, all the money that those people pay, it's crazy, because all they would have to do is receive the free gift of Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. It's a free gift. You don't pay nothing for it. All you do is say to Jesus, yes, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe in you, Jesus Christ. And I ask that you just forgive me, and I'm going to make you my Lord. Free. Free. Yes, chances are you're not going to be delivered completely, immediately, the fear of death. 
But as you grow in God, you're going to be less and less afraid. You know, like I said, the facts are staggering. 100% of everyone who is born is going to one day die. Do you remember a couple weeks ago I was telling you that pastor was saying that Easter is never going to be that close in um, March for another 200 and some years? Well, obviously none of us are going to be here. None of us are going to be here in 200 years. Every one of us are going to be dead, buried, done. You know, you might have some descendants that are alive, you might not. None of us are exempt. Even Jesus' best friends were going through it. Even the people who Jesus really says that he was drawn to, that he loved, even they were experiencing sickness and death. Mary and Martha, when they sent word to Jesus about Lazarus being very sick and he was in trouble, he purposely stayed away, ensuring that Lazarus was really going to die. And even though, you know, Mary and Martha were both kind of probably losing a little bit of hope at that time, Jesus did all this to really remind them of how in control he really was, that none of this was happening outside of his mind and his control. It was all planned. It was all figured out. It was what it was supposed to be because it was going to glorify God and him and all the things that was going to take place. And I think all of us sometimes wonder how God can permit such a terrible thing to happen when you hear some things. We're all like, you know, how, how could that be? You hear something horrible about some little kid or something, and it's hard for us to understand. We can't wrap our minds around it. We don't get it. You know, all of us do that from time to time. We have to understand there are certain things that we're not going to get. It says God's ways are not our ways. You know, we're not going to necessarily understand every single thing about it. And we can't always judge the goodness of God by today's experiences, the news, or how you're feeling at that time. It can't be like that. That's not how our faith can be. Our faith is a, is a standard trust that God is going to see us through, that regardless of the trials, the struggles, we're not exempt. The, the disciples went through, I mean, they say out of all, almost all of them were martyred, you know, except one. John, I think, was, went to the island of Patmos and died. But, I mean, Paul, who was my favorite that I love to listen to, you know, beheaded. <laughs> These people were martyred for their faith. So we can't go off of our feelings. We can't go off of today's experience, and we can't judge God's goodness off of that. Christ had a plan. Sometimes sickness and pain is the plan. But even death is not the final word on Christ. It's not. That's the whole point of the resurrection and life is death is not the end. Death is a passing over to those who believe. Like I said, even the disciples didn't understand it. They didn't get it. They didn't understand what Jesus was trying to do. They didn't understand why he's staying. Why are you staying here? You know, they really, like I said, they thought he was falling asleep. You know, they were saying that he was falling asleep. Jesus spells out to them, hello, Lazarus is dead. Hello, he's trying to get him to get it figured out, you know. Like I said, the purpose of letting him die was to show them and others at that time. And even now as we read the chapter, that Christ has the power over death. He has that power. And because of his own death that was going to take place very soon, he wanted them to be aware of what was going on. He knew that very, very soon is when he was going to be sacrificed for the mankind. That's what it was about. He's like, let me, let me show you, because all this is going to be a precursor of exactly what's going to take place. Within a week, it was all going to take place. Jesus, Jesus finally arrives back in Judea. And he finds exactly what he expected to find. 
Lazarus has been dead for four days. Four days. You know, a day to travel that they went to, to tell Jesus that Lazarus was sick, and then he waited for the two days, and then they spent another day to travel back to Judea. So four days have gone by. And of course, he finds a grieving family, which you would. I mean, anybody that lost a loved one, they're grieving, they're upset. And everyone there that was at that place, everyone that was around that area that had watched Lazarus been dead for four days, they were in this process. They'd already accepted the fact that Lazarus was dead. He was gone. He wasn't coming back. And uh, even though Jesus knew that that's what they were thinking, they were thinking right off the bat with him. Even though they, they saw who he was and they said that they trusted, they, uh, right off the bat they're thinking, well, if you'd have come home sooner, things could have been different. And it's Martha, again, who first approaches Jesus right before he actually arrives, um, before he even gets to the house. He's at the tomb, and she sees him. And she walks up to him, and you know, like I said, Martha's this practical one, and the one who's making the meal when her sister Mary's at the feet of Jesus. And you know, she basically says, well, why didn't you come earlier while there was still a chance for my brother to be alive? Why'd you wait? What was the point? And then Mary, even though she was so devoted and she had such a love for Jesus, she comes and she asks the very same question. If you'd have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. So it's interesting to note that both of them, both of them in their grieving process said the same thing. It doesn't matter if you're practical. It doesn't matter if you're a person who's like adoring. Whoever you are, I don't care what personality you are, when you're going through a grieving process, it seems like you're kind of brought down to this common denominator of almost like wanting to blame people, wanting to, want to try to figure it out. You're trying to, to, to think through the whole thing. And, and, you know, we're probably more alike than we are different. Like I say, in those times of great anguish and pain, we get our eyes off the solution and we kind of think more about the problem at that time. And because of that, we can see the very shortest verse from the Bible. Do you know what it is? John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. The very shortest part of the Bible. So if anybody ever says you know anything about the Bible, you can say, I know the shortest verse in the Bible. It's Jesus wept. Jesus loved Mary and Martha and loved Lazarus. You've got to understand, Jesus shows godly sorrow and sorrow for the pain that the world has to go through. He has sorrow when he looks at you in the troubles that you go through. If you have pain, he feels sorrow. He's a God that's still alive. He's with us. He's here. So this statement shows us the deep sympathy that God feels. He has great sorrow for this people. And it really goes on to point to the exact point of the fact that at this moment, he's saying he is the resurrection and the life, which is basically saying, I am God. I am God at that moment. I have the power to bring life back. So he's saying that's what he is. He's God. But in that same exact moment, he has this completely human reaction of weeping. Showing that he's really man. And that's the one thing you have to understand about God. He's the only God that you're going to hear about that actually is described as 100% God, 100% man. He had both. He showed both sides of it. In this little tiny scripture verse, you can see both sides that take place. He's God, but he's man. Here is a God that came down and live life like we live life, going through pain, going through sorrow, going through hurts, going through temptation, going through hunger, going through all those things just like we do. That's why I say he can relate to us. He's here, he relates because he's went through it. 
100% God, 100% man. Death is not the victor. Christ is the victor. Christ has already won this whole battle. We understand that. The word already explains what happens. It's just whether or not what side you want to be on. We know Satan is defeated. The Bible says it. The Bible makes it clear who wins. It's whether or not what team you want to play in. You know, if you already knew in a Super Bowl, if you already knew who these two teams are going to play, and you know the one team is great, you know, you hear already, you, you already, for some reason, back to the future thing, you already found the book, you know who's going to win. You know, would you go and bet on the other team, the loser? No. But yet people do it every day, don't they? We know what the Bible says, who wins, but yet people are constantly throwing all their money and all their chips on the losing team. Sad. Well, right after this, Jesus asks those who are standing by, and he tells them, remove the stone barrier of the tomb. Open it up. And, of course, it's this practical Martha again, because I would be the one who would be saying this. Uh... I don't know if you realize, but, you know, Lazarus has been dead for four days. It's going to stink pretty bad here, Jesus. You know, bodies rot. I told you from the start, the time that we're born to the time we die, our cells are constantly diminishing. It's a constant process. Well, when oxygen stops, when our heart quits beating, everything happens, it stops, things are going to start to really ripen up quick, don't you think? I mean, look at a piece of fruit. You leave it for a day or two, it's not so hot. You imagine what a human body is. I mean, there's nothing like a dead animal, if you've smelled that smell. It is the most disgusting smell ever. Can you imagine what four days in a tomb, closed-up tomb of a dead body is going to smell like? Pretty, pretty nasty. What Martha was doing was she was thinking in terms, again, of human reasoning. She wasn't thinking about the fact that this guy is a resurrection and the life. And Jesus reminds him at that moment. He says, you know, anybody standing by here, understand that I can change things. Roll away the stone, and I'm going to take care of it. And Jesus, what he does at that moment, I find this so interesting that he words it this way. He looks up and he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. I think that's so interesting that he actually worded it that way. It's like, you guys, got to understand, I know that Jesus is going to listen to me. I know he's paying att- or God's going to listen to me and he's paying attention. But for your benefit, I'm going to say this. And then he yells out in this loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the Bible says that, not that Lazarus come out, but what it actually says, he says the dead man came out with his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. This whole thing was meant to raise the level of faith in the disciples, like I said, for the coming week's events that were going to take place. Man, if this guy can take a body that's been rotten in a tomb for four days and turn around and bring someone to life again, all these promises that he's made to us the whole entire time that we believe that he might be the God, of him telling us that within three days he's going to come back to life, you know what, it kind of really restored some of their thought. Hey, maybe this guy can do this. Because I watched him bring back a dead body that was there in the, in the tomb for four days. It can happen. That's what it was all about. It was a constant struggle. Like I said, these disciples were no different than you and me. Religions all the time take people like the disciples. They call them saint, saint, saint. They are saints. 
But you know what? Every single one of us that are believers, God's word says, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are a saint. Saint Shelby, Saint Ryan, Saint Alice. That's what we all are. If we believe in Jesus Christ, we are saints. Because it's just a believer. And you can see the disciples were just as flawed and human as we were. They were with Jesus. They saw all these miracles and they still doubted over and over again his power. In Revelation 1.18, he states it like this. And I think this is so cool. Revelation 1.18, I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. He holds the key. He's in control. Who he wants to bring back to life, he will bring back to life. There's situations where you can't anything but describe a miracle of God when things happen. It's God. It isn't happenstance. It isn't coincidence. It's God. That's what it is. Sometimes we just miss it. But Jesus holds the keys. He holds the, holds the power over hell. Who's going to go? Who's not? He has that power. When Christ commanded Lazarus to come to life, he was saying there's no more power in hell. Because it's, you, you can't go there if you're a believer. It can't take you when I say you're not going. The resurrection and the life speaks, and that's the plan. That's it. He holds the keys. What he says goes. That's it. What's interesting is what goes on right after that. I'm going to kind of end on this. The thing is, it is literally within that week that Jesus goes to his death, willingly lays down his life, because we know he has the resurrection and the life. If Jesus didn't want to die for us, he didn't have to in a second. I'd just change his mind. He had all the power to bring everything back. If he could have died and you know, it, it, just anything he wanted to do, he could do. He is God. But he willingly laid down his life for those that love him, for those that don't. Every one of us, he died for each one of us. You may not pick the win inside. He still died for you. That's how it works. But this whole thing, what goes on is it's very soon after that, that they're actually celebrating inside this house. Lazarus is there, hanging out, reclining the seat back next to him, you know. Here he is, brought back to life. And they're just kicking back and relaxing, of course. Then, of course, Judas, before long, comes in and, you know, basically betrays Jesus. And kind of the whole thing gets into place about what Jesus is going to do. You know, he rides in on the colt. It's, it's funny because all these people that saw that Lazarus was brought back to life, those are the same people that were there and saw this whole thing. They were the ones to run and go tell the Pharisees. Uh, he is bringing people back to life. I don't know if you know that, but you might want to take care of this. And so that's what happened. At that moment, because of that situation of bringing Lazarus back to life, that was when they decided their plot was put into place directly that they were going to kill him. That was it. And not only kill him, but they were going to kill Lazarus too and take away his testimony. They weren't going to let him go around telling people that he was healed by Jesus, that he was in the grave for, de- for four days, and that he came back. They weren't going to have him give him an opportunity to tell him that. And there were so many people that were there and saw these great things, but they were the ones that went and betrayed him. We see miracles on a daily basis, but we still betray Jesus so many times over and over again. I, I don't think our lives are any different than what's taken place in the Bible. I really don't. I think that we really live and react in the same manner that took place 2,000 years ago. 
We just don't see it. I want you to understand what the resurrection and the life means. I want you to get it. Like I say, these seven I am statements are amazing. They're amazing. It is the keys to our faith. If we could grasp what he's saying to us, we would recognize that he gives us so many things to be able to live this life and also live this death that's coming that we can't get out of, that's inevitable. I will end on the same note that I end every single week with giving an altar call, an, an opportunity for you to accept or deny Christ. You have the opportunity. It's only in your hands. It's no one else's. You know, your friend next to you isn't going to get you to heaven. Your mom and dad is not going to get you to heaven. Your grandma and grandpa, anybody's not going to make you there. You alone make that decision. So I want to just pray for you. If you have never accepted Jesus as resurrection and life, I'm just asking tonight, really think about picking the winning team. I, I, again, I, I've said it before. You don't have to come here every week. You don't ever have to come back. It's fine. And even if you don't do it tonight, start to think about who you are. What path is your life going on? If you struggle with fear and death, all that things, those things like that, God says, you know, that's not the way to live. It's paralyzing. It, it just wipes us out. I mean, there's so much energy spent on that. He says, you don't need to think about that because you know what? You will be, your life can go in a different direction. You don't have to be afraid of death because you can just pass over into a different life. Yes, our body may die. The other thing is Jesus might come back. We know that Jesus is in our lifetime. He is going to come back, but whether or not it happens in your lifetime or not, that's the only way we're going to escape death with our bodies. So I'm going to say to you again, if you have never accepted Jesus as your Savior, come speak to me. If you want to come speak to me or you want to come speak to some of the other people that are here as in leaders, um, you know, why don't, you, why don't the leaders just stand up, some of the people that are on the leadership team, why don't you stand up, those that have, uh, you know, we can have you pray with them. But just so you know who our leaders are, that they can pray with you. And, and if you ever have a need, if there's something that you need prayer for, you can come to me. You don't have to necessarily share it with all with me, but you can go to somebody that, that's a leader too. And they have, uh, you know, all the knowledge to lead you to Christ. They have all the knowledge to help you with battles. So if you want to just bow your heads, and I'm going to pray with you. And uh, just seriously, don't just walk out all the time. I, we're here to have fun, but also to get you to understand who Christ is and the change your life can make. So at least think about it, okay? Don't just forget about it as soon as you're out of here. Think about your faith and who you are. Well, Lord, I just thank you, Father, for your promises. I just thank you that you had so much power and you still have that power, Lord, that you are the resurrection and the life, that you can't stop people from springing back to life. It's just who you are. We just praise you for that, Lord. We just thank you so much for the power that you have, and we just ask that you just touch each person that's here. I just pray, Father, that if they struggle with the fear of death, Lord, that you would just help them to really reach out to somebody and ask for prayer and ask for help. And I just pray, Jesus, that you would ultimately be their helper, that they would actually put their life in your hands, Lord, that they would um, be a, become a real true Christ follower. And I just pray, Jesus, that you just go home with each person that's here. Lord, I just pray that you just bless them for coming tonight and just being with us tonight. And I just pray that you would just help them, Lord, to grow in you. And, uh, Lord, that you would just work upon their hearts and their families, keep them safe, bless them, Lord. And we just thank you for everything in Jesus' name.